you not entertained? Welcome to History in Technicolor with me, Wolf O'Neill, and... Me, David Crowther. Now, you might be wondering why we're here today, and that's because I have selected this wonderful film, The Great Escape, from 1963. And I've selected it as part of our discussion about films that we think will be playing on television over Christmas Day and Boxing Day. And interestingly, I think I read a survey that this film was one of the most highly voted for in a recent poll, maybe um, 2006 or so, um, about all the films people would most want to watch on Christmas Day. So I think that that proves my point. Um, I want to see if David doesn't like this film. Um, and to talk about all the reasons why I love it. Would you you would like to hear reasons why I don't like the movie? That seems needlessly adversarial, Wolf. And maybe I love the movie. Well, based on a tweet, I thought you actually liked it more than I ever thought you would. Is that but right? I thought the, that if we had different views, it leads to an interesting conversation. Oh, but the tweet was all about my disappointment, which I might as well get out of the way, that I had what I thought was a fantastic and extremely witty conclusion after I'd listened to it and was thinking about the notes of what I'd say and all the rest of it, where I said that the great thing about this movie is that it's great escapism, which is, I think, most amusing because it's got a double entendre in it, Gov. It's it's very, very smart. But apparently somebody said it in 1963. So it wasn't in any way original. No, but maybe there's very few people who will find a record of that previous joke. Unless we tell And you can get away with it. (laughs) Oops. Anyway, yes. um, So, So the synopsis for this film, for anyone who isn't familiar, the film was released in 1963 and is directed by John Sturgis, who also made The Magnificent Seven and Bad Day at Black Rock. It follows the escapades and escape attempts of a group of allied prisoners of war during World War II, where they are held captive in a supposedly escape-proof German camp. In the film, they fill this camp with all the most infamous escape artists and ask them not to escape anymore, which is obviously not going to happen, and so these men decide to come up with the greatest escape plan conceivable and help out over 200 men in one night. Um, David, what did you think of the film? And when was the last time you saw this? What do you think? I saw it a long, long time ago, and... Just as I was slightly shocked to hear last time that you hadn't watched Chariots for Fire more than a billion times, you will no doubt be shocked to learn that I haven't watched The Great, Great Escape more than once. Watched it a long time ago. What? <laughs> nice one. Obviously, that was not staged. Uh, and all I can remember about the movie was Steve McQueen on his bike and... Feeling very disappointed, so thinking, what? So it wasn't that great, the escape then, was it? Because nobody actually escaped. That's all I can remember of the movie, literally. Hmm. Differing opinions, I see. Well, no, no, there's an opinion in that. It's just that, yes, I came to it with rather a, hmm, this is kind of a bit of a non-film, isn't it? I didn't go away with that feeling. And, of course, the music, I suppose, uh, because I think the Barmy Army use it or something like that. Anyway, the music is very iconic, isn't it? That sort of thing. Yeah, it's very hummable. It's uh, very hummable, yeah. indeed. 
as soon as it begins, I'm like, I'm ready for this. And every time yes. it kicks back in throughout the film, I'm there. It I is can't wait. It's a great bit of music, yeah. So do you want me to tell you why I like it? You tell me why you like it, Wolf. Okay, first of all, as we have already established, I love prison escape movies. I just love them. I love coming up with a plan. I love the intricate details of the plan. I love using a bunch of tools from all over the place to do jobs that they aren't meant to do. Are we going to dig a tunnel with a spoon? Yes. <laughs> um, how are we going to use this tile to cover it up? How are we going to get rid of all these things? How are we going to distract the guards? How are we going to communicate with each other? I love it. The music you've already mentioned, mm-hmm. um, it's composed by Elmer Bernstein. And I didn't pick up on this when I watched it, but it makes sense. He created individual motifs for the characters and weaves them into the score. So depending on who's on screen, you get the slightly different pieces of music. Is that right? I did not know that. Little wrinkle. That's very interesting. So I think that's uh, that's nice. And it kind of makes sense when you think about the cast. Um, I think it's interesting that you pick Steve McQueen out as a memory because he is iconic. I think the cast is impeccable. Um much like The Magnificent Seven, I think it's hard to pick a favourite. There's a, a smorgasbord of Hollywood icons and recognisable faces. They are fantastic. It's got to be said, the cast is superb. I mean, obviously, Steve McQueen is the coolest person who's ever appeared on film. And therefore, you know, for me, obviously stands out. But all the rest are great, aren't they? I mean, you know, James Garner, dear, dear Dickie, Gordon Jackson. I mean, you know, they're all great, aren't they? Coburn, whatever. You know, they're all great. They're incredible. I love every single one of them. So, yeah, me too. I mean, you've already said James Garner from the the Rockford Files, who is charming everyone left, right, and centre. Absolutely right. McQueen's doing his own stunts. It looks cool as hell. Cool. Dear as dear Dicky, as you've already mentioned, our fearless leader. Then you add Charles Bronson in. Donald Pleasant's not in a horror movie, and he yes. isn't hamming it up, which is quite nice. Uh, a belter of a supporting role. Heartbreaking as well. You've got James Coburn and his silly accent. You've got James Donald, <laughs> Nigel Stark, Angus Lenny, Gordon Jackson, as you mentioned. And every one of them, especially the amount of times I've watched this film, even down to people I'm like, I have no idea who that actor is. They all stand out for me. And I remember them all so clearly. And that's partly because of the roles that they embody, which is their skills um, related to their aspect of the escape, which I think helps to increase people's, you know, recognizability. Mm. Um, oh, that person is doing that task. That person is is the digger. I get that. You, so it's easy to follow. Yeah. I also find that, especially in that sequence towards the end, um, when they're all trying to escape on their different their different methods... Um, and the tragedy that happens through a lot of that, that adds to sear a lot of them into your brain. Like, I remember kind of what happens to each of them, although now I've forgotten his name, the one who falls down on the tracks after he gets shot. David McCallum? Yes. Yeah, see, he's very good as well. I mean, David McCallum, no no film with David McCallum in cannot be great. They're all so good, and every time I watch the film, I get so wrapped up in it, and I'm praying that they're each going to get away, and the mistake that I've seen happen 15 times before isn't going to happen again. Cavendish, this time you won't fall over as you're climbing out of the tunnel. That's not going to happen. Oh, that tailor's going to be more patient and he isn't going to emerge from the tunnel. And Gordon. I mean, Gordon falling for the same thing that he'd warned the person against in training of 
you know, responding to an English good luck. I mean, that's an outrage, Gordon, for shame. It's tragic, It's but it's classic. You, as much as I don't want these things to happen, they are the beats of the movie that you're waiting for. So on Christmas Day, chuck another Brussels sprout in. He's going <laughs> to make the mistake. We know what's going to happen. It's there. I think that frustration is a kind of a part of the experience. Like, we all know that it's tragic and things aren't going to work, and yet I get invested every single time. Um, and just kind of support them mm. in their efforts. Um, I find it charming, but you could easily have right. it as a negative. The accents are awful. <laughs> James Coburn is somehow meant to be Australian. Yes. And it, I can kind of tell that he's meant to be Australian. Right. I don't Charles think I Bronson... Could. I'm what was he not doing, sure what he's Charles doing. Bronson? What accent was he doing? Well, he has Lithuanian heritage. Right. And the character he's playing was Norwegian. But the accent he's doing is, I don't know, like... I was getting Mexico. I was thinking maybe he was from Mexico or something. Oh, I thought maybe it was like going towards Russia. No? Okay. Um, yes. Cool. But it's it's something, and I don't know what it is. But I like it. Like when I watch the film, I'm I'm waiting for their interactions, where the, for example, the German guard, they just covered up that they were digging. So Charles Bronson's in the shower, and then he comes in. He goes, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Shower," and then, and then and then he turns to James Coburn with his awful accent. He's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm watching him. I'm a lifeguard." I mean, I just. Uh... I have to say, though, Wolf, you know, just to introduce a bit of grit, grit into the ice there. In terms of script writing, I mean, come on. What are you doing? Having a shower. What prison guard in the history of prison guards would say, oh, OK. I mean, come on. The Germans are utterly bovine. When when uh, Cavendish is lying on the floor, having tripped, climbing out of the tunnel, and the guard stands and it pans back out, and the guard is standing right over him, shining the yes. torch around, like looking, can't see anything going on. There's a huge person <laughs> on the floor right next to you. Yes, I mean there's something seriously wrong with those Germans guard, German guards. Of course, the only personality we get is Werner, isn't it? The ferret, and he's not an impressive specimen of humanity it's got to be said no and it's a um i can't work out i'm assuming the nickname is bad like they're picking on him but it's hard to tell i think we will talk about this a little bit more later on but it is an interesting point i think that it is you probably disagree and i can under i can actually understand criticism of this film i just like it for kind of personal reasons but i do think it's fairly well paced even though it's quite long I think it has a good balance of kind of being really fun and silly and then being a little bit more serious and having some genuine tension. And most of that comes in the final third of the film when they actually begin the escape. But, and I kind of recognize that the stakes feel quite low for most of the film because it's a bit of a jolly jape. But I think they, they balance, I don't know, I think they balance things well enough for the type of movie that it is, which is going to be like a box office smash. And I like that they go through, we've all made this homemade liquor. And it's like a comedy sequence. Everyone's blowing their tops off. And then it leads to um, the tunnel being discovered and Ives getting hit by cabin fever and trying to escape and then being 
shot down mm. as he climbs the fence. The tragedy comes after the humour, and I think that there's that balance kind of runs throughout, and they know when to give you something inspiring. Oh, this person's escaped, this good thing's happened. And then, uh-oh, this person's been captured, this bad thing's happened. And that, yeah. to me, is like, especially for the film that we're talking about, something you would sit down and watch on Christmas Day, I think it has a little bit of that grit, especially when you know what's coming, a little ominous nature to it. Um, but it also wants to be this, you know, rip-roaring adventure. And I think it kind of does that. Okay, well, shall I... Uh, yeah, give you my view and kind of um, argue with that a little bit. So, I have to say, I love this movie. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. I did have a jolly good time. While I was having that jolly good time, I was constantly thinking to myself, hmm, "Why am I having a good time in this movie, which is clearly too long, which really develops none of its." characters which has no sense of danger and tension at all where i didn't find so possibly the only bit of tragedy i really felt was ives you know that was the only thing that struck a little bit true all the rest of it was kind of well you know all the car characters were cut out and the fact that they've got their own names kind of accentuated that because they weren't people they were there to do a job the times when they tried to make get some personal tragedy and complexity in, like donald pleasance's going blind and um charles bronson hating enclosed spaces which i thought was a bit of a hoot it has to be said i didn't take them serious at all you know they did not strike me in my heart even for a second so I have to say, I ask myself all the time, you know, why? And it is because, or I felt, the thing about it's pure escapism. There is all the lovely ingenuity going along. Because the stakes feel so low all the way through it, you could just, entitled to just enjoy it, the fact the Germans are so stupid and the tunnelers are so clever and are going to do all these fantastic things. It's low stakes... It's kind of fun. Steve McQueen is incredibly cool. You like the actors because they're all great. But I have to say, if you're talking about a sensitive expose of what it means to be in prison and need to get out that badly, didn't get that at all. No, you don't get any of that. I, I, I don't disagree. Um... And I think the representation of the Germans is something we'll talk about a little bit more. I think it's interesting. There are some things that they are doing. Um, and I just think... It can't, I don't feel too mad at the film for being so low stakes. No, not at all. Because it's still... It's a bit like The Sound of Music. Maybe, maybe that's a really bad critique of this film. It's got to be but, said that the singing is better in The Sound of Music than... The Great Escape. Yeah, it just I just mean that it like it's it's quite fun to watch, but they know that like especially in the end, like they don't really shy away from the tragedy too much. They kind of shield their eyes from it physically, but it is if you were doing this like realistically, the film would be a much more harrowing. 
like from start to finish, they kind of often seem like they're having a bit of a hoot in this camp. And there doesn't seem to be any consequences for their actions. Although, in fact, there are consequences for their actions when they all get shot, you know. And yet, when they all get shot, I just thought, hmm. You know, I mean, it's I've lived with these people for three hours or whatever it was, and yet when they all got gunned down in cold blood, I kind of thought, hmm, who's going to make the next cup of tea? I don't disagree too much. Um, I just think at the time period that you're making this film and with kind of the it being like a popcorn movie that everyone's going to like flock to see and then kind of the purpose it serves since, that's kind of fine. I'm, I'm happy with that. I think yeah. it's because I, I can fill in the gaps in the nicest way. And maybe I wouldn't, maybe if a film came out now, I would not treat it the same way. But I can imagine that, yes, the camp would have been terrible. These are all the awful things that would have happened. But I'm fine not seeing that, especially in this context. You know, I know the kind of consequences of the execution and have that resonated and what that must have felt like to everybody there. And you can do more of that additional research and kind of follow up on that real story, if you so wish. But I don't mind so much that some of the sting of it is kind of taken out of the film. For it to be this film that is kind of endlessly rewatchable, and where you put it on for a bit of fun, even though you know there's like a slightly more haunting truth to it. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Wolf, with that. That these are... The- I think what I was saying was I was wondering these things as I was watching or why am I enjoying this movie so much? But absolutely, I was enjoying this movie so much because it's like a kid's comic. It's like, you know, all those comics I used to read in my youth of Hande Hoch and all the rest of it. Um, it's, it is it is pure escapism. There are no consequences. Yeah, and so it's it's enormously fun and it's, you know, got all these interesting little bits of who does what and why they do it and all the rest of it and it's great uh but it's not you know so it is what it is and it works perfectly for what it is aimed to do is all um all i'm saying is that i don't really understand what it would have been like to be incarcerated in a german camp anymore whereas if i watched bridge on the river Kwai, i feel as i do but they're different movies yeah, I think this is, it makes sense that Sturgis also makes The Magnificent Seven. Like, the movies do kind of have a similar feel. Lots of the same really cast do. members. Yes, they really do. That is, I guess, not a true story um, in general sense. Mm. And you gain the same kind of understanding from it. I think the difference with this is, like, the accuracy within of the escape and the details of kind of a lot of that side of things is more accurate and is the kind of things that you're learning about in this film. Um, but it has the same resonance. Put a bunch of these Hollywood actors together. Um, tragic consequences are coming, um, but they're going to have some fun along the way and we'll follow them with it. I think that's the really interesting thing, actually, is learning about how much it was true. I would love to know what motivated the real people that absolute passion and desire to be free despite all the dangers i think is incredible and i'd quite like to understand that better than i do because i think if i got put in a pow camp i'd have sat still for as long as it took not to die 
and not to be picked on by the guards and in order to get home free and safe. I would not have done what these these men did and tried to escape at personal risk to my life so that I could risk my life a bit more um, in the war. So, I mean, it's really interesting. And, it, and therefore, in a, in a way, for a different kind of movie, it would be quite nice to explore that. Because it does appear to be true. They did try to escape. You know, they did take the, those risks. So, you know, be good to understand the fabric of that sense of duty. Yeah, I think in the film they, um, and I was reading this is an inaccuracy, I believe, they say, oh, it's every soldier's, like, sworn oath. They have to try and escape, and that's what we're going to do, and that's our right, and that's our prerogative, and that's what we're our mission is going to be. I'm pretty sure I almost read immediately that no such rule exists at all. Um, obviously, people did try to escape. I did read one of the real men. I was watching a documentary, and I can't remember because they're all like composites of people, and they reference certain individuals, but it's not always accurate. Um, I believe one of the escapees that was executed um, while he was in the camp, his wife had died at home, and he had got the letters. And they obviously must have already been working on the plan, but I think it was just a further reminder that he couldn't stay there anymore and needed to come back. Um, but I guess in a film where you're not showing any of the like harsh realities of their life, you don't necessarily see what's driving them yeah. to want to change that or risk everything. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's a good point that in the... Bridge of the River Kwai, if they had tried to escape, you could quite understand why they would. I, re I read a book about um, the Forgotten Highlander, where about a, a man involved in the building of the railways in Burma and how he wanted to escape and how hard his life was. And you could think, well, look, if my life is that hard, you know, I might as well take the risk. Whereas in this, you got where well, they were in a very clean camp where all the wood in the... In the uh, in the huts was very new and they were all well heated they had plenty of time to get together and play games with each other it looked a bit like a butlins to be honest i can't tell if that's uh, a burn on the film or butlins <laughs> i cannot imagine going to butlins i have to say so it might be great but it would be organized fun is kind of like my vision of hell so i don't think i will ever go to pontins or Butlins. You heard it here. I'm shocked, David. No, you're not, Wolf. I have a question for you. A fun Go question. On. Go on. If you were in an elaborate prison escape, what would your role be? E.g. the forger or the scranger? Okay, well, it's a good question. And I have thought long and hard. What you need to understand is that in practical terms, I am completely useless in any way. I have no practical skills whatsoever. My father tried to teach me. The way he tried to teach me was to get me to stand near him when I was a kid and watching him doing jobs, which was living hell, actually. Because, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I was just watching. It was boring as, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I am of no practical use. Jane has often told me this, actually, that hmm, you're of no practical use, David. No, she hasn't. She hasn't said that, but she ought to. So I find it very difficult to answer this question. One of the things 
I can do very well is panic. So I'm very good at panicking. And it would seem to me that in that situation, they would really have been panicking a lot, even though they're not in the film, obviously. Um, and so I could have been the panicker. And that could have been my role to take on the worries of the world so that I can panic and you don't have to sort of thing. The other thing I can do is whistle. Uh, so I th think I, maybe I could have been a stooge and whistled, I don't know, guitar solos from Led Zepp tunes in order to warn people when the guards were coming. So I, would either, I could either be the whistler or the panicker. What about you, Wolf? <laughs> I know you said whistling, but I'm picturing you... Like everyone's just working, and then you just erupt into like the opening of Black Dog or something. <laughs> um, these like earth-shattering vocals from Robert Plant, Absolutely. and everyone's like, "Uh oh, that's the signal." <laughs> and of course, you know, if I were to do that, then the Germans would never reach their intended target because they could do nothing else but listen with awe. Fascinating. An interesting tactic mm. put on such a good show oh, yes. that the guards feel compelled to, to just watch you. Yeah. And my thinking is of your thinking. Well, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, I'll just try and help out from the sidelines. Um, but I was thinking of it more like I can be a bit annoying. So I thought I could maybe cause interference, maybe just like annoy people, keep them distracted. I think that can work. And I actually think that because I'd be very bored, I wouldn't mind being more of like a surveyor where you're like measuring distances out right? Um, in steps, doing calculations, trying to figure out all that kind of measuring that is required to do some of the tasks and to like extrapolate maybe where the tunnels need to go. I think that could actually be quite a fun task. And you've got all this time, so why not? So you'd be known as the town planner or something like that? Maybe, yeah. As the a low low bar wolf i mean given the fact that the tunnel's too short mm -hmm. it's a low bar yeah is all i'm saying another question did you enjoy the lecture on the birds i did and so i was thinking maybe you know as i was thinking about this question i thought maybe i could be the birder but because uh, i did think that was very nice and donald you know and also he described his bird with great affection you know he described it as a lovely plump satisfying plump bird or something like that whatever which i felt was you know great stuff i was with him and i was hoping that he would continue but unfortunately they had to go back to building a tunnel yeah i i saw you i was like david is going to love this he's going to do the the bird warble david's going to be like, oh yes that's exactly <laughs> that bird the drawing the explaining the uh, details of uh, the bird yeah excellent stuff yeah I mean, he was my favourite character, actually, because I think you're also asking me who my favourite character was. And Donald Pleasance, the forger, was my favourite character because his job, as far as I could see, entailed sitting, sitting quietly uh, and relaxing and uh, doing bird lectures. And I thought I could probably do that. The thing I couldn't do was the scrounger, you know, James Garner going underneath and getting that iron bar out and coming out with all these things. You know, there's no way I could do anything that's inventive or productive. Who would you like? What was your favourite character, Wolf? 
I have I have a soft spot for so many of them. Um, I I do quite like Charles Bronson's Danny. Like they give him a little bit more to do. Um, he's a little bit more. F- I know that it didn't have a huge impact on you, but you learn a little bit more about like what it means to him to go through this journey and how many times he's tried and and kind of why he wants to get out and then because you get to see his you get to see him escape on the boat and make it all the way to I think they made it back to Norway um Norway I think yeah they did in reality I think in the film is it is it Sweden is it Stockholm I can't remember what the boat says I do think it was it was one of the things I think I saw as listed as an inaccuracy that they didn't do what they really did, which was go to Norway, but I could be wrong. But I, I, I like Charles Bronson. Um, I think that the tunnel digging is also exciting, even like with the collapses and the intricacy of developing the tunnel. So him being the tunnel digger and his involvement with that kind of carries me through, and I do like it. Um, and as much as I always want to intend, like I go into the movie being like, Steve McQueen is not my favourite part of this movie. And yet... Every movie, by the time I, every time I get to the end of it, I'm always like, yeah, maybe it was Stephen Queen. Like, he is cool. He is very um, cool, isn't he? When he's on his bike going over little humps and on the grass and all the rest of it. And I mean, he's cool. There's nothing you can do about it. And when he's sitting, when I did my tweet about it, I got some immediate responses, which is quite interesting because there were clearly scenes that people had very strongly in their mind about this film that they immediately thought of. One of them was, Donald Pleasant saying, I can see fine, I can see fine. And the other one was Steve McQueen sitting in solitary on a concrete floor, endlessly throwing and catching a ball. And he's just... If I'm being... Yeah, if I'm being picky, there is absolutely no way they let him take that glove and ball Absolutely no way whatsoever. Especially if it gives him joy and comfort and, and helps him survive the monotony of being in the cooler. You're going to be put in solitary for for 20 days with with only water and terrible food. Would you like to take some board games with you? I mean, it's not going to happen, is it? No, but it's iconic. There's a reason that it's, like, immortalised and it's what people think of, even though it's such small parts of the movie. Also, I love how... I just love that he's always sticking it to them. When he turns up, he'll do something wrong, and then he'll be the first one to be, like, cooler. And then he'll, like, take himself in there, because he knows. And you're like, yeah, that's the bad boy in school. Yeah. Yeah, we know it. <laughs> he'll, like, throw something at the teacher, and they'll be like, right, I'll go to the head teacher's office, okay? Yeah, I didn't like the bad boys at school. Oh, no, I mean, he's like Bart Simpson. Yes. Like, there can be an appeal to Bart Simpson. There, I can, I can see the point. You're absolutely right. He's relentlessly uh, not going to compromise. Um, so I'm going to ask you one last important question about the film, because we kind of hinted at it. Now I on, think then. this is maybe where the film is not overly complex, but this is maybe where you can draw something out. What do you think the film's view on the Germans is? Right. So I thought that the Germans was quite interesting in the sense that 
there was that absolutely standard trope, I thought, of the difference between the Wehrmacht, the ordinary German army, and the real baddies of the peace, the Nazis, you know, the, the SS and the Gestapo in particular. I don't know if you remember doing Das Boot um, and that thing that came over in that film that, you know, the submariners were great, honest men and it was only the na Nazi party member who was the bad egg. So there was, for me, a very clearly that trope that said, honest army guys, not really their fault. It's the Nazis and the Gestapo who are the, the bad guys. So there was that, and then the other the other thing, which was I think very non Germanic, because we we have this strong impression of the Germans being incredibly efficient and effective, of how completely bovine they were. I mean, they were rubbish. I mean, you've just mentioned him taking a ball into solitary that had taken the camp apart every so often, and yet I don't know, but I mean, I suppose that it's true these things happened. They managed to hide it, but they didn't seem scary. Anyway. No, I I agree. I think what's interesting is I can accept them being kind of terrible in their jobs. Um and the ferret losing all of his ID papers, like oh. I know, extraordinary yes. Oh I've lost them. Can you look them for, look for them for me? I mean, no. Boss, I've lost my ID case. They clearly stole it. Let's go and string them up by the ankles for five hours until we get them back. Do you want to know something really interesting? What's that? Multiple guards actually helped them and yes. provided them with identification cards and maps. They were supported by other German citizens, like outside the camp, as well as they received packages sent from their own countries, I guess through the Red Cross or somebody like that, which had all these hidden components in them that would aid them in their plan. So my point was going to be, as you said, the SS and the Gestapo are clearly separate. And I guess most of these these guards, there's also a connection, usually they're the Luftwaffe um, versus the Royal Air Force. And the Luftwaffe are like, oh, we respect you. You're unequal to us. We follow the same rules as the, the, the officers of the Royal Air Force. And we would treat you with respect. Um, but it's these others who are evil. And I think that, there is something interesting about that in that I think the film could so easily treat, paint everybody, tar everyone with the same brush and we would still enjoy the film the same amount. Audiences wouldn't have cared in 63. It's a consideration for um, your opponent, which is in some ways admirable. Um, I simply do not believe that the commandant would just not heil Hitler uh, and would just forget slash not care when the SS and the Gestapo were like there speaking. I think ahead. he did it. Don't you think they, the reason they did that was very purposefully to say, look, the army are the good, are good guys. They're not really yes. responsible for any of this. And here's why. You can see that they're brave and they're not being part of the Nazi heil Hitler thing. Which is yes, a, but, a myth, of course. But it's a very favourite myth of... The, the German historiography of the war. Yeah, so there's that factor which is like, oh, none of the guards in the camp are particularly bad. The camp conditions aren't very bad. The only reason that all of these terrible things happen is because um, these more evil sections of 
the German force get involved. And that is misleading. But I can see some compassion. Like, they show Werner is given an actual story, which is like, he's like a farmer. And he doesn't want to be a soldier in the war. And he wants to leave the camp as well. This camp is also a place that keeps him trapped. And he would like to follow his dreams and return to his family. And that is a level of, like, humanizing of the of the enemy, which you don't always get. So I have some some yeah. approval and respect for some of those mm-hmm. things. Um, but my point without about not hiring is I was just like, this is your intimidating, dangerous boss. Yeah. The person who comes in, you know, like, I've got to be in my best behavior. And then he just is just like, doesn't even bother. No. And they're like, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe you have anti. Oh, he's hiled. It's okay. For a yeah. second, I thought you were <laughs> against us. Yes. But that lazy salute has, now I'm yeah. not so worried. Yeah. You're fine now. Yes, absolutely. It's a bit unconvincing, isn't it? Also, are you a fan of Chicken Run? Yes, I suppose I sort of am. It wasn't the greatest Ardman production, was it? But it was it was fine. It was good. I think I might quite like to rewatch it now that I've watched the yes, great escape. Yeah, that you've watched it. I must admit, because yes, the, I see the Chicken Run was clearly the great escape, was it? I see, yeah. with but with chickens. Uh, yes, yes, we should watch it again. Maybe Do you have any last? <laughs> we could. Do you have any last thoughts on the film before I go into historical accuracy? Don't think so. No, I think we've covered it all. Okay, good. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So there's quite a bit here. When the film opens, this text appears on the screen, and it said, This is a true story. Although the characters are composites of real men, and time and place have been compressed, every detail of the escape is the way it really happened. David, what are the chances that that is accurate? Yeah, that is quite a claim, I must admit. I thought, hmm, yes. Surely cannot that cannot be correct. Yeah, and I was like, you have invited the devil yes. in. This is a mistake. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the film is based on the 1950 book, which is written by Paul Brickhill. And that was a first-hand account of the escape from Stalag Luft Three, I guess. Um, Brickhill had worked in a small capacity on the escape attempts. Uh, he monitored German movements in the camp, um, that kind of thing. So he wasn't like integral, but he was one of the smaller roles. Um, in general terms, this film is highly fictionalized. And one of the things that I read, which makes perfect sense, is that it's particularly fictionalized and like adjusted to appeal to American audiences, which is why they had, they add Steve McQueen, James Garner, um, and the others in. Because in reality, while there were Americans that had been helping with the plan and did some of the digging, they were all moved away from the camp seven months before the escape. I think there was one prominent American, a man named Johnny Dodge, uh, but he yeah. was a British soldier. Um, 
the film just generally then is like omitting all of like the 150 Canadians who are in the camp and assisting. Mm-hmm. And it also omits so many people from all across Europe and the other allied nations. Um, the, I think it's George Jackson's character. Um, so Big X is like right hand man was a Frenchman. Right. Um, and of the three real escapees, they were uh, Jens Muller, uh, Per Bergsland, who were both Norwegian, and that's Danny and um, the other guy. And then the James Coburn character was a man called um, Bram van der Stock, and he was Dutch. And while I think, you know, these aren't necessarily complaints, I think it's interesting to know who these people actually were. Yeah. Um, there's some real-life authenticity that is bought by the actors, um, which I do think is interesting about all films kind of made in, in that first, like, well, I guess it happened for a long time, but any of those films that were coming out in the 20 or 30 years after the war featured all actors who had been in the war. Um, so Attenborough had been in the RAF and he used to fly part of the, with the film crews that would fly out over Europe and they would film the results of the bomber commands sorties just to figure out like what they had, how effective the bombing raid had been. Which I think is interesting. Donald Pleasance was with the RAF. Uh, he was shot down and kept in the POW camp Stalag Luft 1 for a year. Blimey. Which is interesting. Um, Charles Bronson, uh, he fought in the war as a gunner. Uh, James Garner fought in the Korean War, where he operated as a scrounger. Oh, right. Wow. Nice bit of information. Yes. Um, and then I thought this was a bit fun. So Steve McQueen did have military service, but he didn't go to war. Um, he did save five people during an Arctic, uh, exercise where a tank was going to fall through the ice, um, killing everyone in the tank potentially. And he managed to save them. But what I thought you might enjoy is he decided to take a weekend pass to go off base. And then he decided he would just stay with his girlfriend and not go back. So he was classed as being an unauthorized absence and he was missing for two weeks, I think. And he eventually got caught by the shore patrol um, where they found him with his girlfriend. He resisted arrest and then he spent 41 days in the brig. Now that is preparation to be a cooler kid. Yes, that is. He would have known. And did they allow him to take a, a baseball mitt and ball into the brig with him? Absolutely not. I'm almost certain they didn't. <laughs> Maybe they did. I mean, you know. Maybe. You remember the guard, I think his name is Frick, and he's the one who, when I made fun of earlier, because he can't spot um, the guy lying on the floor who's oh, fallen yes, over. Yeah. Well, his name is uh, Tillman Kiver, and he was a German paratrooper officer. And he was captured in Colorado, or he was captured and then placed in a POW camp in Colorado. Right. And he made multiple escape attempts, including dyeing his uniform, carrying forged papers, and he was captured on a train um, in the St. Louis train station during one of his escape attempts. I think he won the Knight's Cross. He was, from what I was reading, is that of all the cast members... He was one of the only cast members who had like done many of the activities and exploits that the film is showing all right. of the other characters doing. Yeah, which is it's fun and and to it's a little detail we're probably not going to notice and we maybe won't even know him as an actor. Um, 
but what I'm kind of suggesting from this is there is a level of authenticity yes. sewn into all of these actors' lives, which enables them to to add little details and aspects to this film. James Garner is a scrounger. I don't know how accurate this film is compared to what he used to do, but he did used to do that. So he has some inkling of how it would work and what he would have done. Um, and then, as we've said, they're all kind of composites of people. So Bushel is the real man that kind of Big X is based off of. Um, he didn't attempt anywhere near as many escapes, but he did have two yeah. successful ones and was kind of on the run for some time. Right. Um, Ives is based on a man called Jimmy Kittle, who did yes. get shot while he was climbing a fence to try and escape. Um, when it comes to the escape itself, there were multiple advisors on the film um, that had been in the camp at the time. So there is a level of accuracy and authenticity they are trying to achieve. Mm. One of those advisors was the Tunnel King himself, um, but his name wasn't Danny. Um, in the film, the tunnels, Tom, Dick and Harry, are shown kind of incorrectly to their actual right. locations. I think, so the tunnel Tom uh, gets discovered by the guards, like happens in the film, before it could be completed. Um, but the tunnel Dick was the one that was under the shower room. That had to be scrapped because I think the guards started using the land where the tunnel was going to come out. So they never right. escaped through the shower block. Mm. They went under a stove in hut 104 and that was right. their kind of final tunnel. And this is a bit being a bit picky, but I think there are kind of fun details here. Yeah. Um, the men were incredibly resourceful. Uh, there were so many things that they managed to steal and, and move. Um, and they did a full inspection of the entire camp afterwards. And they discovered as much as like a thousand feet of electrical wire that had been taken and rigged up to the power. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, that... You know, as you're watching, you're thinking, well, look, this is based on the truth. So it is absolutely extraordinary what they managed to do. It's incredible. Yeah, they stole 600 plus mattresses, like 200 pillows, and they like lined all down the side of the tunnels to soundproof them so that people couldn't hear when they were digging. Um, And there was numerous things. I wasn't going to list them all, but it's quite remarkable. Um... As I've already said, some of the guards were anti-Nazis and they did help the men. So that's adds some something to kind of how they're presented in the film. On the night that they escape, it was actually freezing cold and the ground right. was so frozen that it took an hour or two for them to break through um, to get out, which delays right. their, their kind of mission. Wouldn't have made great television, though. No. Um, and then they are short of the trees again and they have to come up with that plan that's in the film. Bushel made it all the way to like 20 miles from the French border where he was captured on train, which must be the most annoying thing in the whole world. Yes. Some of them got really close. They really did. Um, in the film, there are a few German soldiers that get killed in that kind of final act by the escapees. None of that ever happened. Uh, not right. a single German, as far as I can tell, was even harmed. Um, by the escapees, which I think is what adds to so much of the disgrace, I guess, of the execution mm. of these 50 men, which apparently was ordered directly by Hitler. Yes. Um, which I, which didn't come across in the film, and I just never, I never assumed that that was the case. I don't know why. But No, they just said higher orders or something like that. Uh, okay, that, that makes sense. I've just never read into that. Um, so I thought that was interesting that he really was so angry and, like, invested in this. And... 
I think the scale of the manhunt that took place to try and capture them um, was much bigger than I could have ever possibly gathered from this film. Although it did did seem remarkable, you, you know, Steve being chased by these vast numbers of, you know, motorbikes and all the rest of it. There was clearly a lot of people um, out there looking for them. Yeah, I guess it's because you only focus, like, you don't see the wider picture. They have to explore every single town and building for hundreds of miles, yes. all the way to France, trying to figure out where they are. That's a that's a big mission. Yeah. Um, the 23 surviving men were moved to various camps around Germany, so I don't think they just got returned. Mm-hmm. Um, and the new commandant of the camp did allow the men to build a memorial uh, to okay. the dead because he was so outraged by right. what had happened. So, in the film, he says, I think you'll see Berlin before I do. And you get the impression he's not yes. going to come out of the war. Um, and so, these aspects do have some truth to them. And I think, uh, while there is a lot of inaccuracies, and those can be really dug over, and it's so many different people's um, memories. Like, for example... I was reading one one of the survivors, I think, from the camp. He because there's speculation about the um, when George Jackson says, "Oh yes" or "Thank you," whatever it is, I can't remember, which yeah. triggers their capture. And one of the survivors was saying, "Well, that man was a Frenchman. Um, there was, and he was such a fluent speaker. There was absolutely no way that he would make that error." Mm. And so this guy was saying, "I think it's." Big X Bushel, who's probably made that blunder uh, in that moment. And there's some discussion about like different people's reputations being kind of smeared by the film. Um, but I'm not going to go into any more because I don't think that it's tremendously important. I think there are so many details. And if you care and are invested in them, um, you can go yeah. watch more documentaries, read more books. So much of what they did with the the dirt out of their trouser legs and the slats out of the beds. All this stuff is, is true. And so many of the little techniques that they had to like, um, run the camp, um, are just incredible. And I think that they even built the, the air machine, that pump. Oh, yes. um, yeah. I think they built one accurately. Cause I think the, the tunnel King like showed them how they did it. Mm. And then that one that they've got in the movie is like, uh, and maybe an accurate working one that they they would they had to create to get air into the tunnel so that they could survive down there. Um, it's it's an incredible story. I think it, it is, is an incredible story. I mean, it's just amazing that you keep thinking when you're watching this film and you're thinking, oh, it's a bit cardboard cutout. But actually, all these things happened. My, you know, I mean, it's extraordinary. And then these seventy six men were running around the country. Mm. Everyone was tearing their hair out. Yes. And these three men did survive, like, did escape. And then James Coburn's character, he then went back to fighting in the war. Um, Operation Overlord, I think he right. then was oh, yeah. joined up and was right. there. Um, that's commitment. Yes, that certainly is, after all that. My God. Do you have any questions or anything you would like to add? I don't think I do. Actually, Wolf, I think that's absolutely fine. It was a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it, despite you know its lack of complexity in a way. Good. Uh, would you recommend it on Christmas Day? I would, especially 
yes, when you you don't need to think too hard. There was it was pure escapism, escapism, and the fact that it was, took so long, and yet, you know, I really wasn't bored, and I kind of thought I ought to have been, but I was not bored at all. The hours slipped by most satisfactorily. Sometimes there's nothing better than a really long movie. I guess it's a bit like Das Boot, where you yes. kind of just get lost into it. Indeed, and you really true. stop thinking about time. I mean, a good book is never never long enough, whereas a bad one is always too long. How would you rate the film? It's a bit tricky, isn't it? Well, I think, you know, I've got to go for I've got to go for a, I've got to go for a 7 or an 8. Because it is a great movie. It is iconic. It is one of those things you say, The Great Escape, you know, that is a great movie and the, the music is all over the place. So, you know, for whatever its weaknesses as a work of art, it absolutely does what it sets out to do. And you can't say fairer than that, really, can you? And, it, and you know, entertain me. So let's go for an eight. I'm going to go for a nine, not necessarily because it is like an almost perfect movie, mm. but because I really enjoy watching it. Mm. Fair enough. I mean, interesting that we've we've reversed our positions from last time and um, mm-hmm. Chariots of Fire, which I would think is a more complex movie. But anyway, there you go. Fair enough. But my my rating for this is not how complex the movie is or how like. No. True. How well the craftsmanship is behind the film. Just purely how much I enjoy the film. Yes, gotcha. And Fair why enough. I'd be like, if you turn the TV on, you're like, ah, oh, halfway through The Great Escape. Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm on. Yes, that is true. And I would be the same. I didn't manage to persuade Henry to watch it, which I think is a shame, because I think he'd have liked it too. But anyway, there you go. Uh, Accuracy-wise, I think I might go for a seven. Mm. My reason right. for that is because of the like the plan and the like details of the escape um so much of the characters are composites of real people and you can see the truth kind of running through all of it um and a lot of the changes are kind of made just for like marketing purposes entertainment purposes um not really like from a malicious nature um so yeah, maybe it could be higher, uh, or maybe you could be like, oh, I, I know so much, I want to take it really low, because there are all these inaccuracies. But I think seven is reasonable. Yes, although surely one should be judging against the standard eight sets itself, which is that everything in that movie was true, apart from the characters. Yeah, which which means that it should be rated lower, because you can't you say take that. take a mark off for that, at least. Okay, fine, that's six. <laughs> You might have already taken your mark off when you gave it a seven, to be fair. I mean, yeah, very happy to go along with your your scoring. I mean, it's a bit like, again, a bit like uh, the Farrants of Chire. It's, um, you, you can understand why they made the changes that they did for dramatic purposes. And, and they're not so egregious as to get you angry. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we're done, but I think, I think that we too. should... Wish all the listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. A very, very Merry Christmas to you. Whatever. Yes, we should indeed. (laughs) Have a great time, everybody. And enjoy your uh, Brussels sprouts if you're forced to eat that most revolting of vegetables. What's your favourite part of the Christmas dinner? What are you most looking forward to? Uh, Carrots. I love carrots. 
Mine is stuffing. Stuffing is nice. That's true. Actually, cranberry, cranberry sauce is also very nice. I never have cranberry, so that's very nice. Although I don't think we're doing turkey again because as we didn't last year, you know, it's going to be going to be nut roast or whatever. We should say goodbye. Thank you, David. Thank you, Wolf. Have a great time, everyone. See you later. Bye. Cheers. Are you not entertained? Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.